Hello, this is Deb, host of Deb's at a Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I'll be speaking with Thomas Ferrario, who has been working on anomalous research since 1969. He has been a dive master, both a member and section director of MUFON, a machinist and an electrical engineer. In 2006, he began assisting Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips worked on physical trace evidence of the phenomenon and investigations. Tom is currently working on continuing Ted's work at the Ted Phillips Marley Woods Research Center. Marley Woods is a hidden location in Missouri with high amounts of UAP activity. Ted's and Tom's work was recently featured in an episode of UFO Witness. Thank you very much for coming and talking today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It really is. I'm very excited because you just are a plethora of information. You've been doing this for so long. You probably have insight about the evolution of this topic, insight about people in the community, and of course, a whole bunch of research to tell us about today. Yeah, I do. And I just have to say, you know, it was such a loss back in Ted passed away in March 10th, 2020. And it was such a loss to the UFO community and to everyone that knew Ted that it's just it's unbelievable that that intellect is just gone now. And uh, I was just so fortunate to have the opportunity to meet with Ted. And actually, I offered my services, not in a million years thinking I would ever be working with Ted, but but he, he more or less, he asked me what I had, what I did. And it was a just a mutual, oh, you might say, uh, beneficial to Ted. And I, I did the grunt work. I ran wires and cameras. And uh, that's how it got started. But we, we became close friends. And uh, it was, I was just so fortunate to meet and work with the man, I will tell you. Yes, and I think everyone who does just a little bit of research is going to see his name pop up in all kinds of places, um, not only with Marley Woods, but the other project that I will be asking about that you're going to be uh, furthering the work on. Um, so <clears throat> I guess one of my first questions is, what drew you to the phenomenon? Um, I always ask that. I'm always interested. What brought you into this subject? Well, I'll tell you, it's... Uh... I'll make a long story short. Uh, family members of mine had experiences, and and I had one pretty dramatic experience myself. And uh, I grew up in a rural community, and uh, I got to see living in a rural community when people see things. There's a hesitance there to even speak about it to their own family members sometimes. And uh, I got to be the go-to guy in the community once I got the trust. And um, people knew I would take them seriously. Uh, you know, I had people coming to me, sharing things with me that they wouldn't even share with their family members. And I did see at a young age, I've seen people over this subject matter even lose their employment over this. Uh, they were ridiculed, you know, when they shared some of what they'd seen and happened to them, got out and they lost their employment. And, uh, and just very briefly, how I got started hooked up in officially with the Mutual UFO Network, which many don't know, but that actually started out Walt Andrus and John Schusler in Missouri. And it was 
the origin of it was the Missouri UFO network. And it, when it went international, it became the mutual UFO network. But uh, I had I reported a bunch of sightings and uh, on a, took a wild shot one time years and years ago and called Walt Andrus when he was still in Missouri. And uh, him and I spent four hours on a, on a phone call on a Sunday morning. And uh, Walt was a great guy. And I found out some of my cases overlapped with some of the blue book cases that he knew of. So he made me a section director over the phone and uh, gave me the phone number of the state director in Missouri at that time, uh, Bruce Wittemann, which I just want to mention. Bruce was uh, one of the, he was the first state director uh, for MUFON in Missouri. And uh, we just recently lost Bruce a couple months ago. He passed away, a great friend of mine. And, uh, but anyway, that's how Bruce said, well, he said, Tom, he said, you're not even a member of MUFON. He said, and you don't have any training. And he said, I make the section director. So you come and see me and we'll see what we can work out. So I went at that time and went, visited Bruce Whitteman, the state director. And he put me under the wing of a, a gentleman named Jim Cross, a retired Air Force captain from the Korean War. And uh, he was a photo analyst and a jet pilot. And uh, I worked for him for two years underneath him and learned the proper way to investigate a case. So, so that's how that was my official start. And that's how I got in, in, interested. And in, uh, that's where I got through Bruce Whitteman to meet Ted Phillips, also with Bruce gave the expert conferences, and uh, I got to meet Ted at one of the conferences, and we became friends, and so that was my start to and move on and with Ted. I, I could honestly say that I am very envious because when I go into some of the research that's been done, some of the research that's been around for a long time, um, some of the initial intellectual work that was done and peer-reviewed were people that were in it a long time ago. Nowadays, people are very much into, you know, I want to sell a book, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what, or, you know, they're doing what I'm doing. They're doing a podcast. But I like back then, people were like, you know what, we're going to take a paper. We're going to get it peer-reviewed. You know, I, I think if I were to follow anyone, it would probably honestly be someone like Hal Putoff. I think I would want to go work with Hal Putoff for sure. <laughs> but, you know, I've ch I keep trying to get Bruce McAbee to talk to me because he hasn't oh. been around very much lately, but oh. we'll see. Maybe he'll talk to me eventually. But oh, I was just so fortunate. You know, Ted was the protege to Alan Hynek. And, uh, you know, Ted even spoke before the United Nations at one point for Alan and, uh, he worked alongside of, of Alan and uh, great mentors of mine. And I got to meet through Ted and work with uh, Jacques Vallée. And it doesn't get any better than that, you know. And uh, yeah, Jacques I would I talk to him, too. I would be happy to talk to him, too. I know uh, right now he's kind of doing a book tour, but I'd be happy to talk to him. Um, I know he has presented something that was really interesting about the psychology of the phenomenon. And I know that you've recently been speaking to people about that aspect, that it's a little bit more than nuts and bolts. Um, you've yeah. been, and that even Ted Phillips came to that point eventually. It's really funny, like even in the short time that I've done research, I went to, to from nuts and bolts to consciousness in about three months. <laughs> well, 
it's interesting you say that because you know Ted was a very much a, a strictly a nuts and bolts man in the beginning, and um, you know he even had for a year he had a falling out with Alan Hynek, and uh, because Alan told him he said, well Ted, there's so much more. It's not as simplistic as a little green guy coming here from Alpha Centauri. He said that. This is all dimensionally based. And, you know, at the time, Ted didn't want to go there. But the, the great thing about Ted Phillips was he went where the science led him. And, um, and he, we proved out in Marley. Jock worked with us. And, and as you said, you know, one of, of Jock Vallee, and I never heard it put better, but, and this gets a little deep, but uh, Jock Vallee always said to us when we worked with us that, that we have evidence that the phenomena has the ability to create a distortion of the sense of reality or to substitute artificial sensations for the real ones. Now, <laughs> that's quite a statement. And, and basically what that means is uh, it has the ability to work you. We're dealing with an intelligence when we were out there that you always had to have in the back of your mind, and I'd advise researchers or people in the field and uh, that not saying that everything you see is not real, there's very much real, uh, but it's all dimensionally based and frequency driven, and it has the ability to actually sometimes what you perceive in your eyes may not be 100% what you think it is, and we experience right. that, so... And it's really exciting because I can still take nuts and bolts into that. And I'll tell you how. Yeah. So, <laughs> for instance, um, one thing that I'm looking at right now is basically how neurotransmitters create some, an experience for us. Okay. Um, so, if someone gets into a high stress situation, the brain may have a surge of DMT, which essentially causes... Uh, hallucinations basically right um so there's a possibility that these entities are either shocking us so much when we encounter them or these experience are, experiences are or they know that and they're manipulating that already like they already know like how to mess with our brains i i feel like even the telepathic communication people talk about could be some kind of technology and right now, there's a lot of stuff supporting a nuts and bolts aspect to that. Yes. Um, yeah, some people totally disagree with me and think it's just a consciousness thing. But I think even consciousness has a nuts and bolts aspect to it. It, it absolutely does. And, you know, we're dealing with both here. And, and Ted always felt his explanation, and I never heard it put better, was that, you know, uh, and he loved the nuts. He loved, he did research, you know, for Alan. Uh, Jock did the, the software and the journals and Ted was out in the field with a compaction tester and putting weights at 20 to 60 tons, you know, on these on these discs, on the imprints they had laid down. And uh, that's where he was comfortable. But he learned it was so much more and dealing it morally, too. He over the years, he felt that as as our technologies increased. Uh, they basically lowered their risk factor and we went into more of the light ball phenomena, the light beam, the unseen force and the cryptid. And, uh, and you know, that's just, they evolved too. They lowered the risk factor. And yeah, it's actually interesting because I heard you say that 
the amount of large objects really decreased and it became more small objects and there's just an excessive yes. amount of them but honestly what came to mind when you said that was that maybe these large objects just broke apart or maybe they landed and everything got out <laughs> yeah and and we had experienced that you know just because of size in our realm uh, it appears to be a small light ball. Uh, let me tell you, they have energy and mass that far exceeds anything we can imagine. And we actually believe that in some instance that these light balls, they're a form of ROV. They gather information at times. And other times we believe they're actually used as a vehicle for entities to come into our dimension in and exit. Yeah. And, um, uh, Chris so Lexo just, mentioned that or two, right? Have you spoken to Chris? Yeah. 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 Cause he spoke about entities coming out of the object. I've also heard, you know, that there are objects that look like lights then become metallic and look like spheres. Yes. And, and, you know, the interesting thing that we found out, uh, we, we just did the show and actually we've got enough, We've got enough things filmed that uh, we're probably going to have maybe two more episodes on. And we're working with people right now for our want to do our own show. But uh, when Ben Henson was out and Melissa and Marley, uh, Ben had a very high tech, one of the state of the art piece, the thermal imaging equipment. And he caught what appeared to him uh, to be a. He thought he asked me when he first imaged this and we were up in a deer stand out there. Uh, he said, I don't know what, is this an animal, Tom? Or, uh, and I said, no, uh, Ben, that's spherical and it's off the ground. And um, I had a night vision piece of equipment. And so often at Marley, we've seen the light balls with our naked eye and uh, night vision. And, you know, we didn't have thermal imaging back in the day. And, here Ben picked up on this and it was a light ball. And now we could not see it with our night vision and we couldn't see with a naked eye. So it made me wonder how many times when this thing entered our realm in with a thermal imaging unit, we could have perceived this thing and caught this thing before it became visual. So we would have had no indication without that piece of equipment that they were around us. And there again, like Skinwalker, uh, this thing shut down Ben's high-tech piece of equipment without a without a flinch. When he, we started zooming in on it with this, it just shut down his equipment. So right. it has that capability as they're having experienced at Skinwalker, as you've seen. Right. So that's another part where, where I'm starting to see our knowledge of the human brain catch up because now they're using something where they're basically giving people therapy with magnets. Yeah. They put like a magnet wand over a part of their head. And as they've been doing this work, they have found out that if you just put a magnet over a certain part of someone's head, you can essentially paralyze them. If you put it over another part, you can stop them from speaking. And when you see the parallels between that and what happens to people who encounter the UFO or, you know, USO, whatever, it's kind of like it's obvious that the technology is similar. So yes. we're actually really catching up to what these things are doing now. Yes. And, you know, and magnetic and even in the realm and as they're finding out in Skinwalker now, um, what 
we determined what's really the bad guy at Morley, the one that did the most harm, was in the microwave energy spectrum, which you're finding out at Skinwalker now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we had our most dramatic animal uh, cases, mutilation, and personal, right. myself including, had personal damage done. And, you know, we just felt the microwave spectrum now. And, and of course, you've seen the, the Havana syndrome that's come out and uh, mm-hmm. the migratory you know, microwave auditory effect, which affects people's brains. And uh, so we have just determined that the, the main culprit, what we dealt with that did the most harm in Marley was in the microwave spectrum. Right. And uh, and then now they're kind of looking at the terahertz spectrum too. So like there's, you know, and it's funny because I feel like everyone's coming together on this, on the same idea that it has to do with frequency. Um, I think it was Tom DeLong recently said it has to do with light, sound, frequency. And right. and you've said it, you said frequency. And then, you know, if you look at the research that Eric Davis did, he's talking about wormholes and, you know, that's kind of all ending up in the quantum, quantum stuff. Right. And, you know, and of course, Jack, um, I'm going to say his name wrong. I'm going to really try not to. I have to talk to him at some point. Um, Jack Serpati. Yes, I think that I said it right. Yeah, he's very, very into the concept of uh, the quantum physics being a part yes. of this. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, it just, we were so fortunate. We worked with people, you know, like Jock, and we had Douglas Trumbull out there at the place at the same time. Uh, which, of course, special effects, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, Close Encounters, Brainstorm. And, and Douglas was making very high-tech piece of uh, camera equipment uh, that was targeted through laser and EMF at, at UFOs. And so, I mean, and UAPs. And uh, Douglas and, and another gentleman, a great friend of mine, which is He's getting much older now, but he's still, uh, I don't know if you've heard the name Ray Stanford at all. And uh, he was head of Project Starlight for the government back in the 60s. And uh, and Ray is a very, he actually worked in back engineering, crash debris. And uh, But I, I will tell you that there again, and if I have to put my money on any group of men, I will put it on these gentlemen. And uh they just determined that this is all dimensionally based uh, when this thing. And like Ted told me so many times when he was a nuts and bolts man, Tom, he said, if if I would have said that we had a portal out there and I watched things come in and out of a portal, he said, you should have just smacked me. But but that's what we got going on out here. And and we proved it and we've seen it so often. And uh and, you know, when this stuff crosses the dimensional boundaries, it's as real as you and I. Our, our cryptids report it. You know, we had cryptids. The only Bigfoot sighting in the county was near Morley. Uh, our most grand or strangest cryptid we had was a, a, a creature that was white, dog-like, sloth-like creature, weighed over 300 pounds, estimated. Uh, we found the tracks. Ted did compaction, you know. Uh, we found 16-inch long white hairs that we sent off. We did my, microscopy and very crude DNA work in the day, but we did. And it came back no no match. Now, do we believe there's a population of 300-pound sloth-like creatures breeding at Marley? We absolutely know there isn't. But 
but that's what we dealt with. And when these things come through the dimensional boundary and they're on our side, they're as real as you and I. And, yeah, uh, and that, you know, here's here's one thing that people bring up often and and it makes me wonder if it's connected and maybe you can give me input on this. A lot of experiencers talk about literally being taken through a wall. Do you think that has something to do with the same technology that would allow something to go from one dimension to another? I I do. And it's it's all interconnected. And, you know, it. It steps on the toes. A lot of ufologists I know when uh, and Ted and people like Jock and, and Ray would say things like they do not believe this is interplanetary. It's interdimensional. But when you're speaking in the interdimensional realm, the physics that apply make it possible. But yet interplanetary in our side of the dimensional base, it, it's really against the physics to think that something can cross, you know, hundreds of light years, thousands of light years, and back and forth, where when you go into interdimensional base, it's possible and it's it's very easy. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just much more comp complex than most, you know, tag. So, um, yes, some of the people coming forward talking about this are describing it as being rather scary um and yeah. I, I i am not so concerned about the interdimensional part what i'm concerned about is if we give humans that technology what they would do with that can you imagine a human who would be able to just go wherever they want uh, on the, and, and just pop into someone's room you know yeah. that's that's what scares me um it, you're right it's um uh, you know with a greater technology, you know, uh, do we have the capability uh, morally and making wise decisions with this type of, of you know, ability? Uh, it's it's really a, a thought that's out there, and it it and we we always skirt it, you know. And this gets into the realm. At a lot of times, I will tell you, working with witnesses, uh, you get into the religious aspect of it a lot a lot more than people would like to. And um, I know a lot of ufologists throw rocks at you if you if you touch this, but uh, when you're out dealing with people and the, the intelligence you're dealing with, uh, it's just uh, it's just out there and that's the what you have to deal with, you know. Yeah, I think uh, Chris Bledsoe has also been very vocal about keeping, you know, his faith while he's connecting to this. Yes. And if if anything, I think people understand that what we may be talking about has to do with some very ancient religious roots, yes. um, like the Lady of Phantoma sighting. Um, to many people, that doesn't sound like an angelic being. To some people, that sounds like an entity. Um, so, and and obviously, with the large light <laughs> that everyone saw, it could have actually had a UAP there too, but. Or UFO, you know, depending on what you want to call it. And um, I can tell you, I, I was very interested in ghosts when I was younger. I no. wasn't studying UFOs, but I know that orbs were all over the place and when yes. in situations that involved ghosts. In fact, our folklore talks about it. Science also um, has had this debacle 
of trying to understand ball lightning and some ball lightning may be related to this. It may not actually be what they think it is. Um, so this is a pervasive thing, but I can tell you just from a religious perspective, you know, bright balls of light seem pretty synchronized in some of our religious doctrine. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, so many of the witnesses out there, the, the local people, and we have over now, we have approaching 300 witnesses now that, uh, and a lot of them, of course, they're unfortunately they're getting elderly, but mm -hmm. these people have uh, an ability when this stuff to predict when this stuff, a lot of it occurs. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of the older people, they look at it as demonic and they'll go lock themselves in their houses and won't come out. And back in the 20s and 30s, mm. some of them would use it for a form of entertainment and take out folding chairs and picnic tables on the weekends and, and watch the light balls. And one particular field there, they had what they called the twinkle lights. The whole field, it would look like fireflies. Little lights would come up from mm. the ground and they'd, they'd use it for entertainment. So, uh, you know, and, and all the researchers we had out there, our team, we all felt at time we were being touch in different ways that exceeded mm. uh, a phenomena that um, this the, the, it was playing around with us. So, you know, Ted called this yeah. his living laboratory. And so many times Ted said, you know, and Jock made the comment out there that uh, I believe we're in its laboratory and it's experimenting on us. Yeah. And if you, if you, like <laughs> have you ever read, any of Artie Six Killer Clark's um, stories, or she goes no, and she, she no, you should, uh, she talks to indigenous people um, in America about their encounters with star people or sky people. And then she goes to South America and does another book on, on the people and their encounters there. But often they are saying the people who are coming are explorers and they're scientists. The, these sky people are explorers and scientists. And I will tell you, I'll just share one of my favorite stories was a trucker driving along the road and an entity um, saw him scurried away from the UFO. The UFO left him and then the entity came up to the trucker and got angry <laughs> about being left in the cold. <laughs> and this is my favorite story of any story I've heard about uh, an encounter because I, I would I was I was so sympathetic and amused at the same time because they were it was kind of sassy. But, the, you know, experiencers talk about these entities are picking up plants. They're gathering information. They're clearly gathering DNA. Um, they're exploring our cattle, which is our, one of our main food sources, you know. I'm not sure what they did to that horse, Tom. I'm not going to make you re-describe the barn incident, but <laughs> I can't imagine. I know I can't imagine why they would do that. Um, it's, we don't know. And, you know, right. we believe that fear, we truly believe in some instance that fear is a tool they use. And believe me, when you do something like that to, the, to people's livestock and animals, it creates a large amount of fear in the local, you know, population. Right. And uh, so we do believe fear is used as a control factor. And uh, do they feed off fear somehow energy wise? I can't tell you that possibly. But well, uh, 
Whitley seemed to imply at the end of his book that he might have been a part of some psychology experiment. And he felt the messaging that he got from the entities was false. And a lot of people who um, come forward as experiencers feel like they get false information when they're in, in having their encounters. Like they get told something that ends up being false. Yes. So I, I feel like the idea that it might be in part a psychology experiment with us has a, has some weight to it. You know, so they might be exploring how do we make humans afraid? And maybe it's not all for like malicious reasons. Maybe they just want to know what not to do later. And they're trying to do the checks off a list. <laughs> don't well, do this. <laughs> you, you're exactly right. And I don't believe it's all fear. And I, I do believe from some some of the people have told me that uh, that some that come across the dimensionally dimensional boundaries have the authority to be here. And I think they're the more malevolent one, the ones that have more good in nature. Uh, I, I, from what I'm told, there's certain ones that come across that don't have the authority to be here, and they're what the Native Americans call the tricksters. And uh, I have a friend that got into that. I, uh, I don't know, if you know Chris O'Brien, that uh, he did was the original uh, Snippy the Horse, the cattle mutilation investigator with. Linda Moulton Howe, and, uh, but uh, the Native Americans refer to a lot of this as the tricksters. And uh, because for no reason, good reason whatsoever, they'll play tricks on them. And back in Native cultures, you know, hundreds of years ago, that uh, for whatever reason, they would just, you know, play Henri dirty tricks on the Native Americans. And uh, so it goes way back. It's it's not a new phenomenon. No, no, no. And Jim Semivan, who was just on Calling All Beings, um, he called it, he thinks the parallel is to the jinn, which is the same, trickster spirits. Yeah. So, so I think that we have, throughout history, had the following things happen. We've seen entities that came from the sky. We've seen light orbs. We've seen objects in the sky or the water <laughs> or yep. over the water. Yep. Um, and we've had this trickster psychological element to all of this. Yes. And then and then I would say people say Betty and Barney Hill were the start of the abductions, but there were cases prior to them that were just not as public. Um, so that's another aspect that we're all dealing with now, the abductions. Yes. Um, now, the cattle mutilations, I think there's an element of that that's um, human-driven. I think some, some of it's the military, to be honest. I think yeah. they're researching um, for things that we don't want to know about in our food. You're um, absolutely right, yes. Mm -hmm. But clearly some of them are not. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing you know about a Blue Book Project uh, Report 13. A little, yeah. Yeah, so I keep waiting for that one to drop. I would like to know when they're going to admit that there's a little more than cattle mutilations that were covered. Well, I'll tell you, uh, here again, a, a good friend of mine, Chris O'Brien, who lived in the, he's written several books uh, in the San Luis Valley. He did research. Uh, and I will tell you that he has, in several instances, he has basically proven that uh, some cattle mutilations uh, were random sampling by the government 
Uh, some were doing radiation background survey studies, and uh, some were got into some chemical dispersants, uh, and they were doing random sampling uh, to see how far this affected herds. But, but even that being said, Chris is the first one to admit that not all of them are our government. So, you know, maybe our government learned this tactic from them. So, Right. And we have the same problem with crop circles. Some of yes. them were definitely hoaxes. Some of them were being put on by a group in the UK and they just thought it was hysterical and whatever. They showed us how they did it. But some of them are not. Some right. of them happen very quickly. Some of them emit radiation or, you know, an energy field of some kind. People sense when they're in them. I don't know. There's there's a there's a question mark. And we we do this the same with all the all aspects of this phenomenon, because frankly, it's very easy to fake a UFO video now. Like I, I was playing around with um, a way to do it today that I don't really want to tell UFO Twitter about, but it's possible, right? So, so every bit of evidence that we try to have, there's like this, uh, it's like a force trying to contradict it at all times. And some people think that's government driven, by the way. Well, I will tell you there again, the strangeness of Marley, uh, we did have crop circle and, and here again, Ted being the professional he was, he didn't want us to refer to them as crops or he called as agroglyphs uh, or back in the, in the days when he did the structure craft, they were called saucer nests way back that terminology. But Ted, and we did have agroglyphs is what Ted referred it to him. And, you know, we never seen a structured craft in conjunction with the agroglyph out at Marley, but we did have signs where these things, one particular instance, we had a cattle run out there that was probably like 14 foot across. And one morning the rancher goes out and here's a uh, agroglyph or a crop circle laid down in this 14 foot run, cattle run, uh, perfectly formed. Uh, so were they demonstrating their capabilities to lay this down in this? And we know it wasn't man-made in this instance. It had what they call... Uh, node eruption and you know if you get into one of these and you know what you're looking for you can tell it's the the joint the node eruption and there again ted deem this was the damage to the the particular crop at the time was due to microwave energy but that being said uh, three years after this was laid down in the cattle run where the farmer would run cattle through uh, and it was fairly new fencing the cattle would break through the fence rather than step one hoof in this agroglyph. Now, we could pick up no radiation and three years later, no, we could determine, we took soil samples. There was nothing there we could pick up on, determine. And yet these cattle picked up on something. Maybe there again, they had a, a more dimensional awareness than we had. And they would not go through this where the circle had been laid down and nothing would grow in that area again so wow you know it makes you wonder <laughs> yeah i did um hear this theory that was interesting to me about crop circles uh frank milborn who um is former military um from the uk um he made the comment that he, that maybe a crop circle is formed when the craft is attempting to take 
energy from the planet, from the geometric field of the planet. And, as, and essentially the ether, which is where all of the fields reside, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's hard to explain this, but but basically that these crafts might be sucking something from the planet and using it as an energy source. Yeah. And, and you know, um, you're, that touches upon um, the Delphos case, which I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, Delphos, Kansas case, which was Maybe. one that Ted really cut his teeth on, um, where a, a disc came down and landed in front of a farm family, a, a, the Johnson family. And Ted was out there and did sampling. Uh, and, you know, years after this thing had made this circle, Ted was out there when it like a week after it happened and uh, took soil samples. Nothing would grow in this area. The mm -hmm. soil was hydrophobic, which means it wouldn't upset. Even to this day, I Ted still has samples of the soil, 30 some pounds of this that I examined myself. And to this day, it remains hydrophobic. It will not, water will not be absorbed. And uh, nothing would grow in this area years later. So, and, you know, there was a white residue on this ground in this circle in places. And we had that tested by a very good lab and woman named Phyllis Budinger. She had her own research lab. And uh, so, you know, there's just so much of this that is, especially back you're talking in the right. 60s, beyond man's capability to fake or do anything like this. So is that the uh, case where the woman touched it and it basically paralyzed her fingers? Yeah, yeah. Right. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, so yeah, that's definitely another indication. Please don't yeah. mess with something you don't understand. Like, Yeah, and she so rubbed her leg, the mother rubbed her leg, and uh, her leg, she actually had a... Uh, a null spot or a spot with no feeling uh, several years after that maintained that. And so wow. whatever was there at the time, you know, was pretty, was a pretty good chemical effect. It was almost like a chemical right. burn. And uh, so it's just, uh, and Ted tried to recreate the glowing ring, you know, with the camera and uh, the Johnson family actually gave mm. Ted the original Polaroid. Uh, and he tried to replicate the glowing rings, various means at home. He never could do it satisfactorily. And, you know, she said you could have read a newspaper that night by the light this ring gave off. So uh, it, it happens. And it's. Uh, wow. <laughs> so have you um, thought about finding a way for people to access the research and things like that photo? and make sure that it's available to the public because I feel one of the, my bigger concerns and one of the reasons I made a webpage that I made, which is the ufoconnector.com. People have great research, but it's scattered all over the place. And some yes. of it hasn't been organized. You know, we know some archives that are going to take a decade for some people to at least index. I won't name names. But some yeah. people were not the best with organizing their archives. But um, and then we have other archives that are being shelved away for 10 years. So I feel like the public is still given sort of blinders, you know. So do, yeah. have you been working on making sure this isn't happening anymore, that his stuff is getting out there? It's not just MUFONs, which, by the way, only shares with paid members or 
when they're making a book. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, that was Ted's greatest wish. He wanted to get this stuff out to the public where he thought it, it, it so should be. And, uh, you know, we, unfortunately, well, we did work. We, we can speak about it now, but it, we did have a connection with Robert Bigelow out there and we worked with him for a while. And uh, it was a, we had a website and we had to take it down and uh, it just, it was a situation where it wasn't mutually beneficial and it was a, an argument over control of materials and with Ted. And so that didn't work out. And unfortunately I wish we were all independently wealthy, but we had, Ted always had to find funding for his research. And, uh, but, but Ted's dream was to have on our own website, uh, he wanted to have a series of cameras. Unfortunately, at the time, there was no internet out there. And to this day, there's not really a good high-speed internet. But his dream was to have, uh, you come to our website, you know, 24-7. It would be an aid to it. People monitor. We'd have this series of uh, trail cams, uh, security monitors out there. People could watch around the clock, let us know, log it, you know, enter in what they've seen and uh, let us know what time frame we could go back to. and But that's what Ted was shooting for. So anybody could get on there and try to see something themselves. And, and you know, but, and we're working on that now yet with some people. If we, if we do have the funding or the show that we're, we're talking about now, uh, we're looking in the uh, cell-based trail cams. Uh, and we're even going as far as connecting these things with when the, when the, internet's down uh, or spotty, we can go to uh, connect with the sat phones, uh, satellite phone system. And now that is prohibitively costly, I will tell you, but it's it's still our goal to get this up one day where anybody can come and uh, research this stuff and, and actually aid us in watching this stuff. And, uh, you know, so we, we're, we're, Ted never wanted to keep this information from the public. That's why he lectured and toured so much going around speaking personally. Right. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, we're very lucky at how much we can find if we look, you know, even all the way back to the APRO days, we can find papers. But some of it's just really like the some of their archives are just sequestered by individuals and not shared. And it drives me nuts when someone writes a book based off FOIAs that they've gotten, but then they don't share the FOIAs. Right. <laughs> like, like right. How, and, you know, recently uh, the Sun had done an, a paper about, you know, we got all these FOIAs from the government. So I went to them and said, okay, where are they? And they said, oh, they're on the government's webpage. And I'm like, I don't know if they gave me the same stuff, though. <laughs> Like, I, I know I know how they roll. <laughs> I know that that's not always the case that they give you the same stuff. I'll tell so, you, it's it, you're so right on there, Spot. And I just at this point, I would just like to, when you talk about getting information out to the public, uh, I just have to give a little bit of a, a plug here for my, I call her my sister. And uh, mm -hmm. but we worked together so many, so much over the years. Uh, there's a gal that's the state director for MUFON now. Uh, and she's on the board of directory of MUFON now, and she's trying to make changes to it and, and really bring MUFON back into the, what it should be, what, it, what John Schusler initially thought it should be 
for information to explain mm -hmm. it for everybody. And um, Debbie is, she's just actually written a book. I, I will tell you that Debbie and I were co-founders of the MUFON dive team back in, mm -hmm. you know, 2007. And, uh, and we've done some amazing things back then, but, but she just wrote a book actually that's out now and it's called the alien colonization of earth's waterways mm. uh, by Debbie Ziegelmeyer. And it's, uh, it's a great book. Of course, you guys can't see it, but that's what it looks like. Okay. And um, um, let me, it, if you lift it up again, I'll spell Ziegelmeyer for them. Yeah. It's C I E G E L M E Y E R. Ziegelmeyer. Right. Oh, Ziegelmeyer. and of course, I love her first name. So yeah. <laughs> Debbie. <laughs> yeah. And it's my wife's name's Debbie, and Bruce, yeah. my great friend's name. De I live in a world of Debbies, believe me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but Debbie's a great gal, and uh, she put a lot of heart and soul in this book, and it's years and years of research. Mm -hmm. And one thing we learned in the dive team and, and MUFON, and even Ted Phillips, you know, when we touched base with him on this subject, with all his research, and he went to, I think Ted went over, it was like 20 different countries he'd went to when he traveled for Alan Hynek, when Alan had, was sick or had prior engagements. And Ted said that, he absolutely felt, and we come to believe, that two-thirds of UAPs or UFOs in some way or shape or form are related to water. Right. Now, if there's any one commonality, I would have to say uh, we truly believe water is a, is a factor. Right. And, um, and believe me, when you get into the, the water realm, like Deb has so eloquently, I mean, this book is... Uh, believe me, if you get into that and the UA, the casework she's done in here, and um, she was even in Alaskan Triangle, that TV show. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but mm, a little bit. She, she dove in one, she's been on that show twice, and she dove, she did a tech dive. They had an object underwater, and she dove in that area for it. And it was like, you know, 30 degree, 32 degree water at 145 foot, which is a pretty, you know, tech dive and a risky out there and uh but she's done some amazing things on her own like that and uh believe me this book really uh it just it's so complete and uh you won't be disappointed by it believe me <laughs> yeah i would say that the uso the underwater submersible submerged um, transmedian yeah. aspect is right. fascinating um Especially for myself, because I have had always this really strange fear of the ocean. Like, I've always felt like there's something I can't see that's in there. And I didn't like going in. Um, literally can only go in about to about two feet of water before I start to panic. And there's a term for that. There's a phobia related to that. I'm a great swimmer, but I can't unless I'm in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I always, I wonder about that. I wonder like, was there an instinct that I have there? Like, why, what do we know? But um, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense that they'd be interested in our water. Um, it makes sense for a lot of different reasons. One, it's a great hiding spot. Yes. Right. They move very quickly. So if they're hiding in the ocean, they just have to move over. Right. Um, it also has a lot of resources with yes. all the, the fish and whatnot in there. Um, even the sand that's at the bottom can be used 
to you know make glass and whatnot you know there's lots of materials the shells yeah. you know all of that and then um I have I have this feeling that from the descriptions that people have of these entities that they might be from a place that's very dark and it's very dark in the water. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, you know, it just and you know, so much of what we're hearing now uh with all the disinformation and of course you got to go through but but our military reports now most of them deal with water a lot of their technology a lot of what's coming out now and um it's just you know and and some of the when you get into the military accounts uh this especially the structured crafts that are seen uh far exceed our capabilities and our physics uh what th they do and um uh, and some gentlemen that i i know have expressed exactly how the, the craft can do this through a plasma envelope and uh, a technology we, we don't have yet. But, uh, you know, these things have been rated at, there's been craft on sonar rated going exceeding 300 knots uh, and going in, you know, several thousand mile an hour, uh, entering the water, sometimes without a ripple. So, uh Right. And sometimes and with great disturbance, but it just it, it's it's so far exceeds our capabilities in our physics that it it's not us. And uh, right, uh, there's a lot of stories also about them going into lakes, go, including in Russia. One of the bigger stories from Russia is about entities literally f swimming yes. in one yeah. of their deepest lakes, yes. um, and then also UAP uh taking water from lakes yes as a, and just completely drying out the lake actually in some cases yes. you know so so it's really fascinating that they're very interested in our water and, and um, you know even in inland uh some of ted's cases initial cases years ago uh back in the 70s and 60s um uh, there were different in missouri and uh i forget the particular name uh, this instant, but uh, they when they involved vehicles and there were sightings where these things came down in a farmer's field and Ted took soil samples. In one instance, there was residue on a vehicle uh, and they sent them in for analysis. And for whatever crazy reason, they came back. The only thing that they were closely resembled in the, in the analysis was uh, <laughs> just simple terminology it looked like it was pond scum. Now, <laughs> how do you explain that? You know, uh, but there again, the water aspect of this, uh, had they been in a pond or, you know, were they gathering water, hydrogen for whatever reason from a pond? You know, it just, uh, you don't know. <laughs> so many questions. So I had a question about um, entities and I wanted to know, a couple things related to that for you. One thing we talked about the trickster element, sort of this element of being played by the phenomenon, um, so to speak, or played around with, like we're in a big chess match. Um, have you ever felt like you yourself was sort of were sort of guided or pushed by the phenomenon? You know, I absolutely had an experience one time. My first trip to Marley Woods with Ted. And 
the property owner had fixed this two-story structure for Ted. They're so great people to work with out there. And and Ted had told me about this occurrence. And of course, my first time, I I didn't put much stock, which is a mistake when you better take every word that Ted says gospel. But um, one particular morning we were sleeping in, and it was about 3 a.m. And um, something physically shook my arm, woke me up, and I got up from the bed with a, it's hard to explain a state of euphoria. I just knew something drew me out onto the deck. I knew I was going to see the, the mothership. I mean, I just had this euphoria. Just, I finally get to an answer. And I went out on the deck, absolutely nothing there or that I, that I could detect. There probably was something there. Uh, and it turned to depression by the time I got back. And, um, uh, I went over and woke Ted, which is something you really didn't want to do. And I was looking for some dramatic kind of input or, you know, and resource from Ted on this situation. And then Ted just looked at me when he woke up and he said, well, Tom, welcome to Marley Woods. So, <laughs> but I absolutely felt something physically shake my arm and work me mentally. Yeah. Uh, I've had that happen, by the way. I've had something touch me yes. while I was sleeping and wake me up. Yes. Like it grabbed my foot. It really freaked me out. I don't know what it was. And I thought it was one of my kids, but they were all asleep. <laughs> yes, it happens. And, and, you know, there again, this is all the same, the paranormal and ufology and, you know, myself like Ted at the time when, when I first got involved in this years ago, I, I didn't want to take a Bigfoot sighting in conjunction with a UFO sighting. It, it mm -hmm. really angered me. And especially mm -hmm. in the paranormal, I said, no, I don't do that, you know, but, but if you're in ufology now, you have to open your mind and realize mm -hmm. it's all one and the same phenomenon. And, uh, yeah. and it really is. And, uh, but, and there's, there's someone who's working on that. Um, he's working a lot on the orbs and the spheres, which, like I said, I really don't know why <laughs> they're they're so pervasive. I can't believe they're not getting they weren't getting more attention. Let MUFON wasn't even allowing reports of them, but maybe there's just so many they couldn't handle all of them. But anyway, he he says that it's basically a paranormal network, and you know that everything's interacting and triggering uh, with frequencies, um, different things. And if you've read uh, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, you probably um, have heard of the hitchhiker effect terminology that they use. You probably are familiar with that, that people uh, kind of get this a to attach to them after they encounter things and it yeah. comes home. Yeah. I mean, Ted had a couple experiences with a hitchhiker effect and things mm -hmm. like that. And uh, fortunately, in that respect, I never experienced that. Uh, I was lucky in that that round. I, I took home physical damage, but uh, uh, I never experienced the hitchhiker effect. Thank God I didn't. Or, uh, but Ted experienced that a little bit over the years. So, uh, for whatever reason, you know, right? It, and it, it seems happens. to spread. It like spreads to other people who weren't even there. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, almost it like a a, a mm, paranormal virus. Yeah. yeah. So and, you said you had some uh, effects of your own. This this does move away from the other question I was going to have about entities. But I really 
am interested in the medical um, aspects of this. Are you willing to talk about um, the physical effects that you had? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, this is a realm that uh, Ted didn't, when we were doing our research, Ted didn't like to, of course, we had the prerogative, we could share anything we wanted to do, but he just rather we wouldn't, he didn't want the researchers to become part of the research and draw the attention away from what his goals were. And he felt that that's what would happen. But uh, uh, Ted was made uh, very uh, sick one night. I mean, we had, of course, you probably heard the light beam incident, which came down on my vehicle. And and we got out of the vehicle. They recreated this on UFO Witness. And um, But, you know, we got back after we had this light beam come down on our vehicle, filled the light, the vehicle with, I hate to draw the analogy to close encounters, but that's what it was. And uh, pure white light just filled the vehicle. We jumped out, looked up, seen the light retract in a like a reflex twisting action to a pinpoint and then just snap out. And no structured vehicle, didn't see it go into anything. Uh, but we got back that night and Ted got sick, uh, actually vomited. And I didn't do that, have that effect. But I, when I got back home after we got back, left another week after that, uh, I had scalp uh, burning sensations on my head, went to local doctor, uh, actually was treated with opiates. It hurt so bad. I couldn't touch. They tested me for shingles and it wasn't shingles. Um, he just said, you got some kind of a, I guess, sunburn or something, which didn't make wow. any sense. So, and, see, that's, uh, that's why my work is so important. Okay. <laughs> because people are essentially getting, radiation burns and yeah. that's what we pretty much know that they are at this point and they're being told that they're ridiculous to think they were exposed to radiation and not being treated properly well and there again see this the the microwave aspect comes into this because the next couple of years i started having bad vision problems and i went into my local eye doctor they sent me into a specialist in st louis missouri and i had macular cysts which wow. is something they only see in older people. They don't even know what causes them then. But uh, I had cataracts removed, macular cyst. And my follow-up visit, I asked one young surgeon that took off the bubble and tested my vision, which luckily it came out. Um, I said, what really causes this? And he said, you know, we really don't know. He said, the only time I've seen it in somebody younger was a gentleman, a young guy was on a cell tower worker and they, didn't know he was still up there and they fired up this microwave equipment and he got, we removed, he had macular because your eye mm-hmm. is the most sensitive part of the body to microwave energy, most mm-hmm. frequencies. So boy, then that was such, so telling to me. And, and then later years, I found out that the property owners had had what he referred to. He went to his doctor and they called it back then a uh, touchy scalp. They wow. They told him it was sunburned, you know, so wow. it's, it happens, you know, and they're finding that out at Skinwalker. If you see that. They're having- yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm finding it out just by digging into the research um, that's out there. It's again, very difficult because it's scattered. It's yeah. not, it's not right in one place. It's not like people were working together. There's still a lot of competitive feelings in the community it's really upsetting <laughs> reminded me of your what you said about bigelow and some other things i've heard about that but 
<laughs> I won't get into, but um, about the money and it not coming <laughs> when yeah. it was supposed to. But um, yeah, it just I feel like if if people were honing in on this, we'd get a little bit better care for people, you know. And and it's, and when you were talking about earlier the experience of euphoria that you had, then the depression. Yeah. There's like the mental health aspect also, which of course greatly interests me. And I feel like um, if if we could just get further with teaching therapists what's going on and kind of connecting them to understanding the physical aspect, it would help. Like for instance, you know, I'm I there those magnet experiments. They're doing them for people who have depression, right? Because if you mess around with someone's brain with a magnet. You can cure depression. You know, they're doing it. Um, no, that's what their hope anyway, right? <laughs> so there, so there's a lot of things going on that we need to understand. Um, and yeah. hopefully, and we're, we're catching up now, which is why I think uh, the government's feeling so pressed to disclose more. Um, I think not only are we catching up with our civilian technology and catching UAPs more often, um, but we're catching up with our science and um, understanding some of these things. Yeah. And, and you know, at this point, I would just like to caution people that I will tell you, working with Bruce Whitteman back in the day, uh, there were several times that the government came to, to Mutual UFO Network. And there again, I can talk about it now. But, uh, you know, they were going to have disclosure. Well, I take everything I see when the government's involved with a grain of salt. Uh, usually for every step forward, you're going to take two back. And believe me, over the years, we were promised things. We met with people. We talked with people in high places. And uh, it, you know, what we were told back then that 50% of the regime, the older regime is totally against it. The new people are for it, but the old people make the decisions and there's never going to be true disclosure. Uh, they feel like anybody truly interested, the facts are out there and they're not going to force feed anybody. So every time I hear about disclosure or something comes forward, I, with it, I always take it with a grain of salt. And I think Fair that, enough. I think that has been the history. The patterns are pretty clear. In fact, you know, if you, if you wanted to do parallels, you know, we have like current versions of past characters you know in in this research investigators and and figureheads it's like a repeat you know <laughs> but and then we have you know the project blue book was basically awesome right so um what's funny about that is project blue book had uh, a different name for the public which is right. basically what I was told Allsap did. They had a different name for the public. When they went out to meet people, they used a different name. So you're, we're going to find eventually there's a lot more parallels than people realize. The difference, oh. though, of course, is that the, the law, you know, the law got put into place. And the intelligence community is actively trying to change things. And up to the director who's saying there's way too much that's confidential. There's way too much being kept uh, in the wrong category. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, oh, that and NASA is finally admitting that they need to do something. So I feel like <laughs> there's been some huge breakthroughs 
Um, so I'm trying to be optimistic, but I also recognize from just knowing the history, the parallels. <laughs> well, it, that's true. And, you know, for everything from Project Grudge and Sign and, and after Project Blue Book, you know, Ted worked with the same people. It went on. It was not officially it terminated but it really didn't the alphabet changes you know yes um, of course but uh, i will programs. tell you though that the people involved in it and i truly believe this uh disclosure will come one day but their hand is being forced right now but it's uh, i i think they're going to lose the capability of denial and when the phenomena comes forward which it's going to happen their hand's going to be forced and there will be disclosure, but it's not going to be at their hand. So. Right. Well, and that's, you know, I think that's the thing they're realizing what's happening right now with these. Um, I want to, I'll say UAPs just to simplify things. These UAPs with the Naval uh, ships, right. They're right. basically coming up and waving right now. Right. They're like saying, hello, <laughs> you know, it's, they're not being super evasive. They're swarming the ships. Um, they're going right by airplanes right now. Um, there's just another, um, the, the, the narrator of UFO witness, the, the person you spoke to, he just presented a great case. I don't know if you've seen his YouTube. I'll give you the link if you haven't. Um, it's from a plane that caught several lights above him at over 40,000 feet. Oh. And they were crisscrossing and moving around and he has video. So I'll, I'll give you that link when we're done talking yeah. about that. But yeah, they're, they're right next to the craft now. They're being filmed. We've got the Galileo projects putting out telescopes. We've got the Webb telescope catching up to learning a few more things about the universe we didn't know including the fact that there's like this huge giant galaxy that's like a bajillion times bigger than ours out there you know uh, um you know there's so many things that there's you can't put the genie back in the bottle at this point no no um, you can't right and then the other thing is like the people who have the orb issues i, I don't want to say issues per se but they're pervasive like not only for marley woods where there's just continuous orb activity it was for dorothy Ezat. she had a ton of orbs enough that she was taking pictures all the time chris bledsoe still having orbs of course um i've spoken to at least two other people on this show about their orbs and they can still take photos because they're constantly coming up and saying hello yeah um it's pervasive and it, it was it's so pervasive that john ramirez spoke about them having an orb working group in the cia because yeah. they were just picking them up so much yes yeah i mean and it's not it's not a new the orbs you know or as ted called them light balls he just deemed them um they are well known and you know there again they're they're started out like a form of rov but much more than that uh, and they show intelligence. You know, we've had people out in Marley in one particular incident with a woman and her child on a trampoline and uh, she's doing hanging up wash and she looks at her little girl hollers and she looks over her daughter standing on the trampoline motionless. And there's this basketball light ball just within a foot of her face. 
And the mother says instinctively, you know, to protect her little girl, he said, leave her alone, you know, mm -hmm. come in me. And the mother said that just within, in an instant, without seeing the motion, the orb, the light bulb was in front of her mother's face. Wow. You know? And it was a yellow one. So, uh, and there again, the color really den denotes um, a lot about the light bulbs. And uh, yes. Ted, Ted found out from overseas. Uh, let me tell you, uh, the white and bluish ones at times seem to be more benign. Yellow approaches some energy mass, and the red ones are the bad guys. Yes, right. I figured that out too. You yeah. know how I figured it out by yeah. looking at the FOIAs because every time they described them being over military sites, they were the red ones or the yeah. red orange, red orange. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ted investigated cases overseas, dramatic ones. One in particular instance, even in during the Vietnam War in Vietnam. Uh, where these people were just kind of a place like Marley Woods. They were used to dealing with this. And uh, usually, even at Marley Woods, the red ones preceded what we call the unseen force. And uh, usually when you'd see the red light bulbs, the unseen force would come along. And that was capable of doing great amount of damage, uh, pushing steel mm -hmm. gates down, snapping hinge pins out of oak posts knocking buildings down as Ted experienced overseas. But but usually the red light bulbs would precede that. And mm -hmm. so when you when you have a red light bulb, orange light bulb, uh, stay away. You better stay away yeah. from away. That's uh, what I've been saying forever. Stay away from the orbs. Uh yeah. stay away from the spears. The there was a blue one, not not light blue or whatever, just a blue that gave someone cancer essentially um in the skinwalker book it went into his body and whether or not that's accidental or not i don't know like these tend to act intelligently at least be intelligently controlled i think they're essentially like drones they're like our drones but um they're not ours but you know uh th i think that that's how they work and they have different purposes but i don't know if you've heard the story of the sphere that came out of a saucer that happened in the UK. Um, a man was walking in the woods. I think he was walking his dog or something. And he ran into a saucer, essentially, that was parked. <laughs> it had landed. And, and spears came out. And they projected things out of themselves that like grabbed, like grabbed at his legs and stabbed him. So that was when I was like putting this together. Like, and then since then I've heard a lot about these orbs can turn into metal. You know, they, they're transitioning to other things. Yes. They may look like light to us, but they may be something else. Um, so yeah, just stay away from those. <laughs> yeah. And there again, you got to go back to the state the phenomenon has the ability to create a distortion. Right. Uh, so, you know, just, and not saying there's nothing there. I mean, there's absolutely something there, but uh, it has the ability to to work you. And uh, and just like I said so many times, just always have keep in the back of your mind when you're dealing, whether it be structured craft or entities, you know, cryptids. Uh, you have to question and just keep the keep it open in your mind. Are you seeing what you're really seeing? Uh, or is it 
making making you see what it the picture that it wants you to see you know uh, or you're are you just able to only see one part of the spectrum of what's happening yeah. Yeah. because you know when we talked a little bit about the terror hurts what i had what i didn't say was after hearing tom DeLong talk about that when you said the thing about the sound the light the frequency of course i went and just kind of put that in google sound light frequency and one of the things that popped up was research that they're doing now where they're trying to mess with turning sound into light right yeah. and so they're messing with terahertz which can do things like see through things which is kind of like what a beam might be doing because people say they feel scanned when a beam goes on them um so we're catching up Yep. <laughs> to to whatever these UAPs are doing and we're starting to get ideas about what they might be doing and then we have these great minds coming forward and pointing out to us we are just now starting to see everything that's out there we could not see it all before thank god we now have night vision cameras and yeah. infrared and stuff and that's where where I think the, the government can't close the door anymore because we're you can buy that off eBay. Right. <laughs> you can buy it on Amazon. Right. We can yeah. do like some people who worked for um the Terror in the Sky movie, they created their own technology. Yeah. And they caught amazing things, some of which people haven't even seen yet. So yeah. I mean, they just can't close the door anymore on this. Um, what they haven't been able to be honest about which is something I wanted to get back to was the occupants. So what is your perspective on the occupants, whatever might be coming out of the orb, whether or not they're interdimensional, I'm not that concerned about. I think I'm more concerned about how accurate do you think people are when they're saying, for instance, there are grays, there's tall white beings, things like that. What do you think about the idea of the occupants? I, I truly believe, and this was, I got to, again, fall back on some better minds than myself I've worked with, but, um, you know, I do believe a lot of the gray, what's referred to as the grays, I believe they're more automatons or, uh, you know, the, the thought is the best way to build a robot is to grow one. And uh, I do believe a lot of the, the entities that are experienced are, Let's just say they're worker bees. Uh, I don't. I do believe that the the thought and the intelligence behind this, and this again steps on a lot of toes in in ufology. But I do believe they're a lot closer to us than we can we believe uh, than we can believe. Uh, a lot of the different entities that are reported, and and you know you can just you can, there's no shortage. I mean, uh, you know, even MUFON gave up trying to catalog these things years ago. Uh, and every year there's new ones reported for whatever reason. So are these things grown DNA yeah. with DNA, you know, for a purpose of just confusion or keeping the people guessing or. I have uh, so many thoughts on this. I'm going to throw out a few of them. Okay. First of all, we're a truck stop. So very much likely there's lots of different things going on. Our planet's awesome. You know, it's kind of 
nice little protective atmosphere. Not all planets have that. Look at Mars. It's it's a mess, right? Um, it's got all this water. It's a beautiful planet. It's got tons of different species to explore. Beautiful plants. It's really a blessing, right? And when we see other planets, maybe there's some like ours for sure. But we're pretty special in this neighborhood. <laughs> so I think that's cool. We also are, are you know, which we tend to grasp onto a concept um, that may be beyond what we can understand, which is that consciousness aspect, which is that spiritual aspect, which some people think might appeal to the phenomenon. The phenomenon may be like, what, what is this about? <laughs> or, or why are they attracting us by thinking at us you know because apparently we do that <laughs> we're like antenna right um but you know i have so many con like ideas about the hybrid idea i have this idea that maybe it's being done purposefully for a couple of reasons one being to create messengers because perhaps they want to create something that can communicate with us and not scare us Right. Another thing is that I've heard, and I know this, you know, there's nothing solid because we, we just don't get enough information on this. I have heard that some of these beings have human DNA. And if that's the case, they're either being created from us or we have a common ancestor. Now, you know, both are still possible, right? But when you look at history, um, we often hear about, like, for instance, the pharaohs, they protected their bloodline because they believed they came from the gods, gods like Ra, the sun god, right? They wanted to protect their DNA. So it makes you wonder. <laughs> they also were obsessed with the idea of the long head, right, with their headdresses, <laughs> And then you look at Peru, they also had the big, they wanted to elongate their, like, elongate their head because they, they thought of the gods. So, I just wonder. And then there's, you know, just going back to that again with the history, there's so many common traits in the religions that I believe there was probably an ancient religion that everything broke away from. So... And that almost always involved God's meeting with us. Oh, yeah. And there again, I, I've been so fortunate that I've got a couple good friends. And one father that I worked with uh, actually was in the, actually it was an aide in a seminary student in the Vatican. And uh, he had the duties of deciphering some of the text. And it, they tend, and you know, I will say our government learned compartmentalization from the Vatican. Mm -hmm. And they still have a very close relationship with the Vatican. And most yes. people don't know that. But uh, some of the greatest secrets, if I had one place on earth to go to learn the truth about this phenomenon, and one of them would be down in the catacombs in the Vatican. And, um, you know, some of the seminary students were given the task. They had a mold down there that was destroying manuscripts. And they would do compartmentalize. They, they would take seminary students, go down there, decipher a couple pages and out they would go. And I was privileged to become friends with one of these gentlemen and another individual that knew a lot about this. And uh, I will tell you that there's a lot of knowledge and truth down there that 
I, I doubt very much if they'll ever release it. But there again, I think their hand will be forced. Uh, but Well, they let Dr. Prasolka, who wrote American Cosmic, go in there. Um, she was looking for more like saint-related things because she studies religion. But she did say, sure enough, when she, when she was writing American Cosmic, that she found an experience that had to do with remote viewing. <laughs> so, you know, I would, I agree. I would love to have them divulge more, but I, and I have pointed out to people who was first to say they would accept ET, which religion? Well, <laughs> it was the Catholics yeah. for those who don't know. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things years ago I was told, and at the time I just, I didn't want to go there back then, but I, I do now, uh, that, you know, it involved the fallen angels and the Nephilim. And uh, there was one text that referred to as uh, more or less suggested that, of course, this, the Nephilim and the fallen angels subjected and the DNA was, was shared. And, uh, of course, then I had people telling me that, of course, a lot of the Bigfoot sightings now, and this is something I was told years ago would come to come around, and I didn't believe it. But and now come to more and more when they think they've got a legitimate uh, DNA test where they pick on Bigfoot uh, sightings and different as researchers. There's always human DNA involved on the really good cases. Right. So, and, and some throw it out because, well, that's just man, you know, polluted uh, right. this. But right. And then the re reproduction's a big part of a lot of experiencer accounts. You know, Robert Salas has spoken about how he was involved in something with one of his experiences that had to do with his reproduction, right? And Whitley Stryber has talked about that. You know, they're obviously collecting the DNA or interested in that aspect, Betty and Barney Hill. There was yeah. some sort of supposed pregnancy test as the worst sounding pregnancy test I've ever heard of. But, you know, like there's something invasive but inquisitive about our DNA that they're yeah. interested in. Yeah. Um, you know, I know some people think they're putting humans in test tubes and they're doing some weird things like cloning us. Um, there's a whole lot of mythology that goes with that too. We don't know, like, cause it's not, we can't, we're not concrete on that. Not everyone agrees, but, um, I will say one of the, the most compelling bits of evidence for it actually happening is that there is usually some sort of witness. It's not just the one person having a dream, right? It's often two people having an experience or someone having an experience and someone else seeing it happening to them or someone has an experience and someone else sees a UFO outside, you know? So that's, I think, indicative to me, indicating to me something's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there again, you know, I'm fortunate, well, not so fortunate maybe, but you know, I had family members experience things and at a very young age, I had an experience uh, of my own. So you know, that took the doubt out of, is it real or not? Uh, when you experience things personally, that takes, you know, puts you in a different, mm -hmm. I don't want to say class, but uh, you have that reality to draw upon. 
And uh, of course, the downside of that is when you when you go to work with MUFON and you go out taking reports and file reports and that kind of thing, um, you know, you're you're taught in the old days and they still try to do that here to that. But, uh, you know, you don't even interject things like body language when you're interviewing a witness and Hmm. you absolutely never relay any of your personal feelings or your own encounters. Uh, so you always have to keep that at bay and uh, not interject that and try, you want to try to comfort somebody, but you can't do that. And uh, so. It's, they have a thing for that now though. They yeah. did. They created a support group for experiencers. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, when you we sat through, I've sat through a couple of regressions, a different witnesses and, um, uh, that uh, you see how real it is with the individuals and how much it affects them. And uh, it truly can be traumatic. And uh, Right. And I think that's why I don't necessarily encourage doing that. I feel like your brain is pretty smart. Yeah. Your brain said, don't remember this. And, yeah. you know, people are so curious. They want to peel that back. But sometimes that makes the wound bleed again. You know, oh, it's yeah. just. You're it's absolutely not- right. And, and working with individuals that did regressions on others and mm-hmm. a few knew my, my past and they, you know, they'd ask me, well, wouldn't you like to undergo this time? You know, and find out, I, I don't, you know, I really don't, I, <laughs> I, I don't have the need. Uh, right. So uh, like you said, it's a defense mechanism. Sometimes the brain does things that, in some instances, it can be a relief. In other, I've seen it where it can be a curse. So, uh, you know. I feel like if someone does that, they really need to go to someone that is going to provide aftercare, you know, that's not just yes. trying to get the story out of them, yes. but is trying to do it for the right reasons. Right. Um, so, that again, we're really working on um, making sure people are supported. Yes. And that there's they're getting empathy. Uh you and, have to have that support structure along right. with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you can't just do this and let them out out the door on their own. Then, you know, it's uh, right. So, I've I've been gathering information about good places to go, um, and it's a good moment to remind people that they can go to Opus O P U S, which has been doing this for over twenty years. They can go to the Experiencer Group, which is. Um, often public on Twitter talking about the experiencer group activities and things like that. Um, there's the, I think it's ERT is what it stands for at MUFON. So if you do a report with MUFON, you can get support there. And then there's just a lot of local chapters for support because there's always someone, <laughs> you know, obviously there's multiple experiencers in every state. So there's, always someone who's decided, you know, we should probably start a group. Now I will say a lot of those local groups don't stay around forever. Those things that evolve and change or become part of MUFON or something, but the, you know, MUFON has been around a long time. That might be a good place to go, but Opus, I I trust them quite a bit. And, uh, and, you know, it's just, and it's a sad fact of life that, uh, you know, resources, people get older, resources die out. Right. It's a continuous it changing. Uh, so you have to always, you know, even recommendations, you have to be careful because things change. Uh, the psychologist that we work with in the day with MUFON, 
uh, they were very talented, experienced people. Uh, of course, I'm no longer with the Mutual UFO Network officially, mm-hmm. uh, even though my sister is a state director. Uh, I call her my sister, Debbie mm-hmm. but, uh and she's a great gal. And, and like I said, she's on the board of directors and and they're trying to they're having a regime change and they're trying to get back to the original concept of MUFON, which the they were, you know, it was started by McDonnell Douglas engineers to get to the bottom of the phenomena. Mm-hmm. And they work with astronauts and alike. So uh, right. and that's what they're trying to get back to the true research and get the facts out. Right. And, uh, yeah. Because I was talking to um, someone recently about. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to know when I started doing my research, which was what entity are people seeing with what craft? And I thought that was really basic and it would be easy to figure out. And it wasn't because people hadn't done that before. And I think they might be doing it now, which could be a little controversial because some people don't want to be guinea pigs. They don't want to be part of research, right? Right. Um, but I feel like wouldn't humans be further along if we had answers like that? <laughs> like we, it's sort of like we know that there's some kind of little gray that's connected to an egg-shaped craft, and of course, grays have been connected with saucers. But what entity is connected with the diamond? What entity is connected with you know so on and so forth? Um, I think some remote viewers think the cubes have to do with multi-dimensional. Um, and some people say objects come out of these because they're like Russian dolls is what I've called them. You know, so saucers have come out of Tic Tacs, you know, and spheres come out of saucers. So, <laughs> you know, but I feel like people should be already aware of that for sure. Have a lot of examples like and we would have gotten further. It's kind of frustrating. We haven't. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. And there again, you have to, you know, just take with a grain. Every you can't can't imagine how many different configurations of craft. And and there again, Mufon gave up mm-hmm. trying to catalog these. You have to go back and is there this many different types of craft? Right. Uh, or it, or am I seeing what it wants me to see? And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. But I will say that um, it has occurred to me, I've spoken to Dr. Wilbur Allen. Have you spoken to him before? No, no, I haven't. Okay, so he um, talks a lot about living UFOs. Yes. And I really think there's an element to that. I think that these crafts may be grown in some way, much like the um, greys are some kind of biological robot. I think that explains why there's a connection to the occupants that might be considered consciousness um, because of that. I think there's something there. Um, it's already six killer Clark also spoke about that. Um, some of the people would go up to a craft and it felt like it was you know, skin basically alive and they, sh- they change shape and, um, and some people say they look like sea animals in the air. So I think there's something to that. I don't think that's all of the craft that we're seeing, but I think some of them for sure are alive. Yeah, the the difference between, you know, intelligence and life, uh, it merges and 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's hard to even imagine with that the intellect and that technology set that come across a dimensional boundary that you're dealing with anything and everything you can imagine. And uh, right. so and we do that now, by the way, we make biological robots right. ourselves. And right. if we and if we can do that, then and they're much further along than we are. Right. We can, you know, that we can create um, a womb, essentially, and raise an animal from an embryo inside of it. And if we can do that, why couldn't a civilization that's more advanced than us do that, you know? And, and right. we can 3D print organs. And if we can do that, <laughs> you know, like, why couldn't they? We do all of these things that we're exploring and talking about. Um, we are teaching AI to go into space and learn, you know, um, and I, I just, I, we have a helicopter on Mars right now. Yeah. <laughs> like it flew on Mars. So if we can do that, like, I don't, well, I just like go on about this. Why, why people are so you know, close. <laughs> I, it just, I keep drawing upon the man's knowledge because he, he's so great. I feel, but uh, you know, one of the things I was told was that, you know, in 50 years, we'll no, no more be able to recognize our own technology than alien technology. And right. I, I know that from just the advances we've made in the last 10 years. Right. I, I, mean, I know with all my heart in 50 years, I'm not going to recognize man's technology. Versus absolutely. It's going to be one and the same, I feel, you know. So they definitely already have jetpacks, which when we watched the movie Rocket Man, we thought that was not ever going to happen. It was yeah. like, and and then we definitely um, have a personal flying saucer that you can use. Like they they developed that. I don't know what the point was, but it is essentially like what I envision a flying saucer would look like. We know they were trying to make them before. That was sort of the uh, hidden project that got mentioned in the folios back in up to the '60s, uh, Canada. A British engineer and the U.S. made the Avro car, right? Yeah. Um, it it was pretty cool, actually. People yeah. are like, "Oh, it didn't get off the ground," but it was off the ground. It was hovering a few feet off the ground. It was pretty cool, and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the one that even went the highest. There's another video of another project. Uh, they called it a flying platform that went even higher. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know and- the. The key thing that technology, it's going to be the breaking point is electronics is, is, is proceeded so fast. And, uh, you know, we couldn't have imagined, you know, just our typical smartphone now, you know, a few years ago, we couldn't even imagine that kind of power and technology. And the breaking point is going to be when the, the thing that still holds us back. And even though the aero car and different uh, platforms you know, for the most part, they were all ducted fan. Uh, they they still conform to our physics. Uh, but when we get into the realm of zero point energy fields and uh, through different, I will tell you, through crash debris, uh, back engineering, you know, and people always say, well, if we have these craft and the technology, why can't we have a fleet of these uh, hover or disc now saucers? Well, basically the three of the key components elements in them are not found on this side. 
So basically what they have retrieved and have working models now with the debris and in one instance, the actual structured craft, um, they have the three elements that the superconducting elements that you have to have for anti-gravitational propulsion and things like that. But three of the key elements, one in particular, is not on this side. So, um, you, know, you know, the other thing I heard, you're going to love this, especially because we talked about this consciousness thing. Yeah. Someone it, proposed this idea recently in a, in, a, in a book club that I'm in that maybe all that work that they were doing on Psy, you know, remote viewing and so on, had something to do with them wanting to be able to fly a craft that they had, that they were trying to find someone who might be able to do it because they realized that that's what would be required. Yeah. Someone who was able to connect to the craft consciously. Yeah. And, and I won't lie, you know, you hear about experiencers flying these, they tell you that they know how to fly them, that they've been shown. Um, so I've, I've heard that Grant Cameron will go on and on about that. He's writing a book about it. It's probably going to be out soon. Um, so, it, you know, you wonder, did the government know that that's what would be required? And that's why they funded all these side projects. And that's a big, huge confidential part of it that no one knows about yet. And that, you know, maybe they didn't get as far as they thought they could because they just really still couldn't understand that part. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a it's a double-edged sword. There, uh, they think there there's ways the technologies to get around some of this, and uh, and you know, and we have progressed quite a bit, you know, but uh, when you when you're dealing with the the true back engineering of these craft, I, I I've met a few guys that've been involved in this, and and uh, and you know it. Here, there again, the, like I say, the government, you know, disclosures one step forward and two back all the time. That not so long ago, along with the Tic Tacs came out, that they actually came out and acknowledged that they did have materials not of this earth. And uh, then they kind of recanted that statement. And now they kind of they kind of go along the thought that, well, we never really said that. Well, well, okay. we did. I think Hal Putoff resented that, by the way, because he came out on Jesse Michael's YouTube talking about the debris and that Gary Nolan was looking at. And he didn't hold back. He said, oh, yeah, one of these was from Roswell. Someone yeah. said it's from Roswell. I think he resented the fact that that was being covered up. And they and in that interview, if anyone was listening really carefully, it is said there's much bigger pieces being looked at yes yeah and i and, mean hmm. they, so I, th I think he was mad it. it's real believe me I've, I've met people that have worked in this field and uh uh i wished i could say that i've handled it myself and seen it i haven't but i've i've worked with people that have and uh and ted being one of them of course working with right. alan heineck he was exposed to a lot of things that that others haven't and uh so it's it's real and it's out there and unfortunately uh a lot of the technology we don't have yet to to 
duplicate this, uh, but and there again, from what I'm told, that there are certain elements of this that we don't have that the superconducting elements of this that are ten times anything we have here on Earth, our capability, right. no matter what technology we throw at it. So I don't I'm know. okay with that. I'm I'm one of those people who thinks we we don't have the right to this because we don't know how to use it. I really don't like when people become resentful about that part because they all expect that they have the right to this. <laughs> um, they really do. They really like think, why is you know this technology could give us free energy and all this stuff? And I'm like, this isn't our toy. You know, this isn't our like even even when we take a craft, and sometimes we do take it and it gets yeah. taken back sometimes <laughs> when well, we do you know i i feel like that's not ours that's like I'll tell stealing. You, <laughs> we may not have their technology but i will tell you as far as free energy uh back in the 60s and there were people i'm you're probably well familiar with the name stanton t freeman the nuclear physicist uh stan we lost him a mm -hmm. couple years ago yeah. Uh, he was a great friend of Ted's, and I met him. We were friends. And uh, Stanton would tell you back in the days they were making, studying, they had nuclear rockets they were working on, and uh, they had nuclear reactors. Uh, Stanton always told me, he said, uh, they had one the size of a, of a beach ball, or Phobos 1, they called it, that had been tested, and this thing was totally functional. He said that this thing uh, could have took you to the, to Mars and back in one third of the time, anything they got planned now, but they determined it was too dangerous. The the critics and they, they quit that project, but. Do you know but, if that was um, what they call nuclear fission yeah. or nuclear? Yeah. Cause I think, yeah. I think Lockheed's been actually pretty public that they were working on that and compressing it to make it smaller. Yeah. And Stan said that, you know, you could have one of these things outside your home and it would have supplied your energy for the life of your home, uh, heating, cooling, electricity, everything. And uh, and they put this thing actually on, on flatbed rail cars and crashed engines into it, train engines back then. And they couldn't. They built it in such a way it was safe; it couldn't be damaged. Uh, so it was safe, dependable, and it would basically be a, a crude form of free energy. Uh, so, but we ruled that out and we even took it out of our space program. And now they're starting to talk about going back to that in our space program. So, uh, but. Yeah, I, and I get that. I get that um, some of these concepts, like even anti-gravity have been worked on for a long time. There's a lot of projects, um, including moving objects with the brain that are being worked on that DARPA has been saying, you know, publicly that they're working on. Um, but for me, I guess, like where I say the resentment is, is like people just expect that as their right um, to exploit is the problem I have. Um, if you read one of the NSA's FOIAs, is called the Congo Exploitation Report. And that was the first time I heard that term in relation to UFOs. And now it's in the NDAA, like, or NDDA, I ever, ND, whatever, it's in the law that we're supposed to exploit these. And that actually bothers me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 
And it also upsets me. I know it's not like a typical reaction. Maybe other people don't feel this way. But when I hear about we took entities and locked them up, like that bothers me. Like, I hope that's not true. And then some people point out, well, they could have left if they wanted to. But I don't know. Like we're, you know, when they're not in a craft that can move supersonic speeds, they might be pretty vulnerable. Um, so, I mean, they are. Oh, yeah. Um, so I I feel sort of protective of the phenomenon, which I think the phenomenon is aware of, <laughs> which is an unusual reaction, probably. Well, it, it's funny, you know, uh, like you spoke about not wanting to accept it. And I have individuals, I purposely got a little model a while back that when people talk about, uh, you know, anti-gravitational devices or craft being impossible. And I've got a little model sits in my office here. It's a, it's a globe that floats between a magnetic flux. You've seen those, you know, and well, that's anti-gravity. Uh, right. It's just your source of energy that, uh, that propels that thing, but, but it's anti-gravity. It's sitting there floating, uh, <laughs> you know, in midair, been that way for a year now. Uh, yeah, so just thinking it is about awesome. <laughs> you ever seen that superhero? I think his name is uh like Siren or something. He uses sound to fly. You know, and I we know that these craft are not flying like we do, and we know they mess with frequencies and mess with the different parts of the spectrum, like terahertz and microwave, and uh, you know, maybe go into gamma rays and stuff a little i bet you that we're going to eventually figure out that that has something to do with what they're doing oh yeah yeah but uh, but i i don't think that should be in human hands either i don't think that it's a good idea for instance and and there and we know that different countries are uh, clamoring right now to figure this out and fighting over it and not aligning together on it because they want to be the one that has that power right um but can you imagine how scary it would be for a dictator to have a ufo to be able to just go from one place to another and uh, irritate people as it goes like it's so i understand the hesitation uh with disclosing the technology part but what i don't understand is not being honest about us not being alone. Like I, I think people are just afraid people are going to be scared and they don't want people to be scared. But honestly, I, I look at Americans and I think they would be upset for about two minutes and then they'd go back to watching their reality TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's a large part of it. And unfortunately you know, greater technology doesn't guarantee greater morality. Uh, so there is that. Uh, but, you know, what we would do with that capability is just. Uh, it's, know, but it's but I do believe there's somebody that watches us and uh, a better, a higher power that is one of the reasons why we don't have some of this now. Uh, I really do. And <laughs> yeah, it's funny because. Uh, my God, to me, and I don't want to get super religious for people, <laughs> like everyone has a different 
belief system is a giant orb okay and i have engaged with that and it was like a node system you know like it wasn't the final god even it was just like the one that i was able to interface with so to speak if that makes sense big ball of energy i thought you'd appreciate that <laughs> because it's another orb <laughs> to me <laughs> yeah. and a lot of people talk about that when they pass that they see orbs that they are an orb you know that's the spirit is in the form of balls of energy yeah so yeah it it just it goes it goes so much beyond you know some individuals just believe this is all ball lightning well let me tell you they haven't experienced it or uh you know we've had light balls fly out in marley we had them had an old windmill out there had surveillance cameras and a, a vehicle parked a gentleman and a woman had a brand new cadillac this was about i guess it was about 98 99 and uh one of these light balls went between our structure and the windmill burned out all the circuitry on the cameras hmm. the cadillac on the ground just like you've seen in movies the horns start blowing electric windows start going up and down uh and what was really dramatic and we had no idea till the next day uh and this tells you the that sets the time when this was too the uh, the surveillance cameras went back and were recorded on VHS tapes. Wow. Ted, Ted mm -hmm. had a bookshelf of the VHS tapes, and he'd take them home then to work with. And uh, not only did it burn out the circuitry in the camera and eject tapes on the, the player in the in the metal structure, the, the cabin, that it uh, when he took the tapes home, all the tapes had been as if they were wiped clean professionally there was nothing but static on all the hundreds of hours of tapes that he took home so yeah the what uh, that capability have you spoken to jesse peak yet of uh mufon no okay he is investigating electromagnetic stuff i keep sending him stuff that i find um including um some scary stuff that we have done with electromagnetic stuff yeah. but <laughs> i don't want to go into that but <laughs> um so yeah he would probably be really interested in the electromagnetic part he has something called i think it's called project batek so you might want to talk to him about that um and share some of the electromagnetic effects that you've witnessed because that's definitely a huge part of this right right, right. Yeah, so, yeah, so unfortunately, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, I didn't even hardly ask you that many questions. We got into all these different things. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate so much that um, you came and spoke to me and we were able to explore these different things. I feel like we got to um, give you some space to kind of conjecture, which is great. And right. I think that we all in this topic really need to do that sometimes. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I just, I so enjoyed it. And because uh, we care, we covered such a wide, wide variety of topics, but, but, you know, I, I urge people to get that are getting in ufology now. Uh, of course, it's different than when I got into it. Uh, you know, just always expect the unexpected and 
you know, be aware and keep that in the back of your mind that the phenomena has the ability to work your perception of reality. And uh, just always keep that in the back of your mind. And I don't think you'll go wrong. You know, I really don't. Yes. Well, can you please let people know where they can find you before I close out the show? I would like be able, uh, people to be able to find out more. Yeah, I'm working with people. We're trying to get our website back up. But till we do, I have my own channel on YouTube. And there's a lot, several free movies. There's uh, a movie there telling about Ted's beginning, his start, all about Ted Phillips. A lot about Marley Woods. A lot about Project Moon Chef, which I didn't even get into. That's quite an incredible story uh, about an artifact in Slovakia that's self-maintaining. It's technology that's there. Uh, But anyway, uh, you can go there. And then, of course, Facebook, I have the Ted Phillips Marley Woods research page, which I try to post what's going on currently and happening at Marley Woods. And uh, so that's the best two ways right now you can follow me. Do you think that you'll start using your Twitter more often? Um, I hope so. I hope to be. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because there's a lot of stuff happening on Twitter, including, yeah. like I said, that UFO witness guy whose name I can't remember right now. He, he just put something out that I have to give you a link for. But yes, I think yeah. everyone should engage. Um, I know that you put some really good material out there. I, I will say that... Um, I really appreciate that you come at this with a human perspective. Like, you know, you're able to honor other people, be humble, and absorb all the information and provide it to the public. So you're doing so many good things. And I also appreciate that you're not part of that that not-so-great competitive part to this. (laughs) You know, you actually care about finding the answers, which is oh, what yeah. I feel feel yeah. like people should be caring about. So uh, thank you so much. I, I think I'm going to ask you to come back again, maybe in November, so we can talk about some of the things we didn't get to talk about. I would very right. much like to have another conversation with you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let everyone know where they can find me and say goodbye to our listeners. So... This is Deb from Deb's Dad at Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to find me, I'm at Study of UAPs. You can find me on Calling All Beings on YouTube at theufoconnector.com, or you can find me at Study of UAPs on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and all those places. So take care, everyone, and thank you for listening.